0: No church is perfect. In fact, the moment you walk into a church, it becomes an imperfect church. Why? Because we're all imperfect. Uh, We have been declared righteous by the work of Christ on our behalf, but we still live in this sinful flesh. And when you get a big group of sinners together, you get problems. Unity takes work. If you've been in the church long enough, you know that small church disagreements can turn into all out war. Hurtful things get said in the church, relationships get strained in the church, and Satan wants nothing more than to see that happen because Satan wants to destroy the church. Many people have left the church over things that start small and aren't dealt with and become big things. This is serious stuff. Jesus knows how important unity is. In Jesus' high priestly prayer, the prayer of John chapter 17, uh, Jesus repeatedly asks the Father for Christian unity. And he ties Christian unity to Christian testimony. He wants us to be united so that we have a testimony because when we lose our unity, it hurts our testimony. That's the take-home message This morning. If you're taking notes, uh, there are bulletins on the seats with fill in the blanks. Feel free to use that. The take home message is this when we lose our unity, we lose our testimony. But in a world so divided, what a bright and burning light Christian unity shines to those around us. What an opportunity we have in a world so divided to be united as Christians. We want to be a a community centered, united on the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we want to be. And five years in, Satan would want nothing more than to destroy Prairie Bible Church through disunity. We need to be on our guard. A little background on this verse. So uh, maybe you'll remember at the end of 1 Corinthians, in the last chapter, Paul gave five imperative commands to that community. Paul told them to be watchful. Stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, and let all that you do be done in love. We talked about that in a message called A Call to Stand Firm. Well, again, here in the last chapter of 2 Corinthians, Paul gives five more imperative commands. And they are very different, but they're just as important. Let's look at what Paul says to the Corinthian church. Look at verse 11 with me. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. So rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. And live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. These are God's words for us today. And I'm going to use this phrase, gospel unity. Gospel unity. And it's really simple. What I mean by gospel unity is that we are a group of people transformed and united by the gospel. We are a group of people who've been transformed by the gospel and united around the gospel. That's what we are as a church. And what is the gospel? The gospel is that message, that historical reality that 2,000 years ago, a man walked this earth named Jesus of Nazareth, but he wasn't any common man. He was the son of God and he lived a perfect and sinless life and he was unjustly put to death on a Roman cross, but it wasn't for anything he'd done. It was because of what we have done and he died on the cross in our place to pay the penalty for the sins that we committed, the penalty we deserved, but death could not hold him down. After three days, he rose again. He appeared to many. And then he ascended to heaven where he is seated at the right hand of the Father, praying for you and me right now. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, if you have confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. And so we come together as a gospel community filled with the Holy Spirit to live out gospel unity before a divided world. How do we do that? Well, we're going to see uh, three ways that we can pursue gospel unity as a church. You're going to see these five imperative commands. I'm going to put them under these three headings in the outline. Here's the first one. Gospel unity calls us to pursue wholeness, wholeness. Uh, by wholeness, I simply mean a being made complete, becoming a mature Christian. You'll see this phrase in the Bible of being made perfect, okay? We want to pursue wholeness in ourselves and we want to pursue wholeness in our families and we want to pursue wholeness in the church. And the first two commands are under this heading wholeness. Here's the first one, rejoice. Paul tells the Corinthians to rejoice. Now, interestingly, uh, this word rejoice actually became a standard Christian greeting in the early church. So rather than walking around and saying hello or goodbye, Christians would just walk up to each other and say, hey, rejoice, rejoice. Now, how did that happen? Uh, We're not 100% sure, but it could have been because when Jesus rose from the dead, and appeared to his disciples, he greeted them with this same word. He told them to rejoice. And so this became a standard Christian greeting. And so when Paul is leaving the Corinthian church, rather than saying goodbye, he says, rejoice. Think about if at Prairie Bible Church, we walked around all morning, and rather than saying hello, we all just shook each other's hands and said rejoice. That might get kind of annoying. (laughs) But if the early church did it, maybe we should do it. It is a reminder though, Uh, That joy is a choice. We can't control the circumstances of our life, but we can choose joy. And mature Christians choose joy. The Bible says to rejoice always. You know, Tom's not here this weekend, but Tom, in his prayers to open service, he'll usually pray that a little bit of heaven would come to earth. When we have joy as a church, a little bit of heaven comes to earth. Because joy is the attitude of heaven. We will eternally have joy. You know, when you walk into service, you'll probably notice that I ask all of you, how was your week? And so often, uh, I can see people put their best smile on and say, it was okay, but I can tell you had a hard week. But nothing's more encouraging to your pastors than after a hard week when you choose joy. You come to church, you get out of your own head, you worship Christ, you serve others. That's what mature Christians do. They choose joy. You know, last week, we had the most powerful illustration of this I can think of in Kim Jungi's testimony. Kim Jungi has had a battle with pancreatic cancer, but if you've been around Kim, she's the most joyous person in the room. She was in the hospital asking doctors and nurses how she can pray for them. That is a mature Christian who is choosing joy. You know, Kim ended her testimony by saying that she doesn't even view her trial as a trial as much as she views it as a privileged circumstance. What an awesome testimony for all of us. You know, when life gets hard, That's the best time to choose joy because that is the best time to have a Christian testimony, to have joy that is not attendant on our circumstances. When we pursue wholeness, we rejoice. And we can do that because no matter what happens in this life, we have eternal life in Christ. We have the fruit of the Spirit. Let's choose joy. Amen? The second command Paul gives is aim for restoration. Aim for restoration. This simply means set things right, okay? Set things right. Think of putting joints or bones back into place. Uh, In the Gospels, this word is used uh, to refer to mending nets, okay? So whole Christians choose joy, but our joy isn't just, we're not just walking around acting like nothing's wrong when things are wrong and when things do need to be dealt with. No, we also set things right, Since we're at the end of this uh, study, what I did is I went back through these two letters and tried to uh, make a list of all the things that the Corinthian church needed to set right. I'm going to read it for us. Don't get discouraged by this list. (coughs) Division, quarreling, factions, jealousy, strife, arrogance, sexual immorality, boasting, grievances, disputes, lawsuits, drunkenness, wrong affections, and toward their founder, Paul, mistrust, a lack of support, and a lack of love. I mean, this church got a lot of things wrong. We've walked through a lot of stuff. There was a lot that needed to be set right, and that is what Paul is saying at the end of this letter. Aim for restoration, set things right, because Christians set things right. As that famous verse says, a house divided against itself cannot stand. You know, when you think about God, you know, God is a God who sets things right. God is a God who sets things right. God cares so much about setting things right that Jesus Christ left heaven, came to earth, took the form of a servant, was a man of sorrows, died on a cross. Why? To set things right. To set things right. And so if God has a heart like that, that pursues that type of wholeness, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we pursue to set things right when there are things between us and God? Shouldn't we pursue this in our families? Shouldn't we pursue this as a church? If we only choose joy and don't choose setting things right, we miss on something. We got to choose joy and aim for restoration. Gospel unity calls us to pursue Wholeness, wholeness. Here's the second one. Gospel unity calls us to pursue agreement, agreement. Next, Paul tells the Corinthians to comfort one another. Now, in the first chapter of 2 Corinthians, we talked about how Paul refers to God as the God of all comfort the God of all comfort. This is that same word there. It's that word parakaleo. This is where we get the word paraclete, right? The Holy Spirit is our comforter. And Paul just simply means that we are called to comfort and encourage each other. As one famous football coach said, encouragement is the strongest form of motivation. Encouragement is the strongest form of motivation. You know, Paul knew probably better than anyone that life in the church is hard. It can be painful. And Paul knew that life in general is hard. It can be painful. You know, God never meant for you and I to go on this Christian journey alone. He never meant for us to try to do the Christian life alone. A mistake that I made early in my life is is I tried to do it alone. And when you try to do it alone, It's just inevitable before you realize you can't do it on your own. In my 20s, for the first time, I got involved in a small group and I began to let other young men hold me accountable for how I walked with the Lord and it changed my life. I have some great mentors here at Prairie Bible Church and I have people in my life who mentor me because we weren't called to do this on our own. We need people around us who can comfort us and as a church, we need to be scanning the room for who needs to be comforted? Who needs to be encouraged? Because we all need to be encouraged. We pursue agreement by comforting one another. But this, this next command, agree with one another, I want to focus here. Paul says to agree with one another. What does that mean? Well, it literally means think the same thing. Think the same thing. That doesn't mean that we're all going to have the exact same thoughts all the time. Of course not. Uh, just as at a hotel, if a hundred different people entered with a hundred different types of baggage, so it is in the church. We all come here with different types of baggage. We all come here from different families, with different backgrounds, from, with different church wounds. We all bring different baggage, different spiritual baggage in here. And God brings together people from diverse backgrounds who have different thoughts. So it doesn't mean we're just going to agree on everything up front. No, it means that we agree on the main things. It means gospel unity. It means we are a people who've been transformed by the gospel, united around the gospel, and we're united around this. And we sit under the Bible's authority together. That's what it means to agree with one another. Now, here is some encouraging news even healthy churches have disputes. Isn't that encouraging? I've never been in a church without a dispute before. I don't know, maybe you have. Even healthy churches have disputes. When you open up the book of Acts, uh, Peter in Acts chapter 2, he preaches this powerful sermon, and 3,000 people come to Christ and are baptized. And we read that and we go, Praise God! But then some decisions had to be made after 3,000 new people come into the church from all different backgrounds. And in Acts chapter 6, we see a dispute arise in a healthy church. You'll see those verses up on the screen. Let me read them for us. Here's, Here's how a healthy church handles conflict. It said, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So there's the dispute. There's the complaint. And the 12 summoned the full numbers of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. So they're trying to solve the problem but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word and what they said pleased the whole gathering and they chose Stephen. Heard of Stephen? Pretty famous Christian. A man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit and Philip. And then a bunch of people's names I can't pronounce. (laughs) These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. So a dispute came up. They handled it with prayer with open communication. And now look at the result. Look at verse seven. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is how a healthy church works. God blesses the church. He grows the church. Disputes, complaints happen. But then through open communication, through humility, we we work on the problem And then God continues to raise up new leaders. He continues to bless the church. We can't escape disputes, but we can escape division. Disputes don't have to mean division. Disputes will happen, but that doesn't mean division must happen. We can disagree, but remain united in the love and truth of Christ. Amen? You know, there is no long-term relationship without forgiveness. Let me say that again. There is no long-term relationship without forgiveness because we're sinners. There is no long-term church unity without forgiveness because we're going to get it wrong. But healthy churches have leadership that is willing to say, hey, sorry, I got that wrong. Will you forgive me? Healthy churches have people that are willing to say, sorry, I got that wrong. Will you forgive me? Because healthy churches are humble churches. There's no guarantee that our leadership or you won't get it wrong sometimes. But I hope that we're the type of church that can admit when we get it wrong. Gospel unity calls us to pursue wholeness and it calls us to pursue agreement. Here's the last one. Gospel unity calls us to pursue peace. Paul's last command is simply this, live in peace. Did you know that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are referred to as a son or daughter of peace? A son or daughter of peace? Peace isn't just something that happens to you one time. You can be characterized by peace because it's a fruit of the Spirit. We serve a God of peace. But if you've lived the Christian life long enough uh, you know that we can only display outward peace if we have inward peace. That's why Jesus told the Pharisees, clean the inside of the cup, right? Then the outside will be clean. Outward peace results from inward peace. You know, I've noticed that there are certain Christians that just have a glow about them. Have you ever noticed that? There are certain Christians, when you're with them, it's like you're with the Holy Spirit. And you leave refreshed. Refreshed. Uh, my wife and I, uh, there's a pastor and his wife from my hometown that they're one of my mentors, they're one of our mentors, and we recently spent a few days with them. And we left and it was just so refreshing. Like they just lifted our spirits. The conversations would last for hours. You wouldn't want them to end. They have that glow about them. And as me and my wife were driving home, I said to her, man, I want to be that type of Christian. When people are around me, I want them to leave refreshed. I don't want them to leave burdened. And it begs the question, how do we cultivate that glow in us? How do we cultivate that? So the Bible actually gives us some ways to cultivate that glow of the Holy Spirit. It's not a physical glow. It's just the spiritual refreshment. How do we cultivate that? Well, there's a few ways up on the screen that the Bible tells us about how to cultivate that. The first one is confession. I don't mean a confession, I guess, in like the Catholic church. That's not what I mean. I mean just confessing our sins. Confessing our sins. Uh, My first small group, James 5.16, was our theme verse. And that verse said, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that you may be healed. That you may be healed. We've been forgiven, cleansed by the righteousness of Christ, but sometimes we need healing. Because we can quench and grieve the Holy Spirit. So we need brothers and sisters in Christ around us to help us. And sometimes we need to confess our sins. Another one is prayer. One of the most powerful things toward the end of the gospel accounts is you'll just hear over and over again that Jesus would just go off alone into the mountains and spend whole nights praying. And Jesus had obviously a power about him, but I think some of that power came from how much he was committed to prayer. Prayer gives you a glow. That's why we have a group of people come together on Tuesday night here at 6 p.m. We have a group of people who for an hour pray together. Because as Pastor Craig says, we don't want to just be people who pray, we want to be a church of prayer. Prayer will cultivate that glow of the Spirit in our church. The third one is Bible study. Now this just simply means being in the Word, okay? It could be memorizing Scripture, meditating on Scripture, thinking about Scripture. It could be gathering with one of our Bible studies here. We have some awesome Bible studies here that have been encouraging for me. And when I think of someone who had the glow of the Holy Spirit through Bible study, I think of an Old Testament name, Ezra. I don't know, maybe you've heard of Ezra. It says about that he set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to do it, and to teach it. He set his heart on the law of the Lord. I want us to be a church like that. I want us to commit our lives and our hearts to knowing this and teaching it and doing it and shining a light in our community with the Word of God. We have that glow through Bible study. We also get it through fellowship with other Christians. This is why the Bible says, don't forsake the assembling of the saints. Don't forget to gather together. You ever have people who come to church and when they leave after not being in church for a while, they go, I just feel better. Well, there's a reason for that. Because they've experienced that glow of the Holy Spirit. They've been with other Christians. So whether it's coming on Sunday morning or also being in a small group or just spending time with other Christians, we want to make sure we don't forsake that. And then the last two kind of go together, serving others and giving back. Serving others and giving back. I have found for myself uh, that this can really help me get out of my own head. When I was uh, working in a student ministry in Arizona, I would make a a point of trying to serve in the kids' ministry because it just got me out of my own ministry island. It made me realize there's more ministries in the church than just mine. And it's refreshing to give back. So whether it's your time, your energy, your resources, um, listen, God will refresh you when you serve others. So confession, prayer, Bible study, fellowship, serving others, giving back. If you do these six things, you will have the glow of the Holy Spirit in you. Let's pursue these things in our lives because it's a powerful testimony to those around us. Gospel unity calls us to pursue wholeness, agreement, and peace. Now, as we get ready to close, looking back at verse 11, it says, Finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. I love how that closes. The Bible says here that the God of love and peace will be with us as a result of doing these five things. Did you get that? This is a reminder that the Christian life is not a passive life. You know, we don't just sit around as Christians, fold our hands, take a nap, and have peace. No, this is an active seeking of the peace of God. The world might think of peace as only rest, but we pursue peace by pursuing these five things among us. And because we're sinners, unity takes work, but if we can do these five imperatives, the God of love and peace will be with us, we will have gospel unity and we will have a gospel testimony to those around us. I just want to close with this. So I was thinking about when I've experienced this in my life. So uh, before I was at Prairie Bible Church, I was at a church in Arizona and I was the director of students of a ministry there and one of the first things we did is we had a vision night okay? So we had a bunch of parents and students streaming into our building to meet me and to talk about the ministry. And as I was preparing for that night, uh, I was supposed to make copies of a handout and I didn't make enough copies, so I had to go back and make more. And as parents were coming in, I wasn't able to meet some of them, which was a mistake for me. But the next day, a few of the leaders lit into me pretty hard over it and I went home from work uh, that night just discouraged dejected i I'd moved away from from my family I was way I'm a midwest kid and I was in arizona and I was just discouraged by how the day had went and I'll never forget this one of the leaders, not one of those but a different leader in the church, had noticed this, and he texted me and he said, "Hey, man, can I take you to dinner tonight and he took me to dinner and a really nice restaurant, and he bought me a dinner I couldn't afford. <laughs> he bought me a steak um and he just poured into me and encouraged me for hours. And I went home that night and I was, I was ready to fight another day. You know, I, I felt like the church was in my corner and with me. All because that one person was intentional about unity, was active, not passive about unity. He gave his time, he gave his money to encourage another brother in Christ. And it blessed the unity of that church. Now, maybe you can think of some examples like that. But I hope that we can all be like that leader in our church. When we see division or disagreement or someone's discouraged, I hope that we can be a church that that watches for that and that goes and encourages that person and lifts their spirits. And then when we feel that way, as we inevitably will, that people come around us and say, hey, I'm praying for you. Hey, how can I help you? And I believe our church has been that type of church. That was something Ryan and I experienced when we came here. But let's keep being that type of church, amen? Band, you can come up. And what do we unite around? We unite around the gospel. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you repent and turn from your sin and turn toward Christ, you will have the Holy Spirit in you. You will become a something, a part of something greater than yourself and your only regret will be that you didn't do it sooner. And then you'll be a part of our gospel community where we can seek unity, unity together. I'm going to be over in the prayer room if any of you needs prayer this morning.